Blog Talk Radio. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 da. Charleston was once the rage of that 
people shouldn't be locked up for a plant, especially not a plant that's good for you, especially not a plant that's healing and healthy and healthy and has all good and really very little bad. But we made it illegal a long time ago. We made it a crime. We made it uh, a pariah. We made it a stigma. We made it something that it was never intended to be almost 100 years ago. And about 40 years ago, we reinforced it and we categorized it as amongst the most dangerous substances on the planet. Imagine that. Imagine that something as healing and potentially valuable, certainly non-dangerous. I remember uh, a couple of years back, we had uh, DJ Short on the on the show as a guest, and he's a, a breeder and a bit of a, a philosopher, I suppose. And he said this, he said, I would challenge you to find a substance on the planet Earth that is less dangerous than the cannabis plant. And we talked about toxic levels of things like water, like any and every single pharmaceutical drug that's been approved by the FDA like food, like any mineral, virtually every single substance, there's what's known as an LD50, which is the dose at which 50% of the people would find to be a lethal dose. It means it would kill you. Uh, cannabis doesn't have one of those. Go figure. And yet, in 1971, uh, Richard Nixon found it suitable to put cannabis plant amongst the most dangerous habit-forming toxic substances on the planet and scheduled it in the one category where it still fits today and although many states have passed legislation that allows for the medical or recreational in some cases multiple different types of use of this plant, the federal government still says no. Still says you don't get it. You can't have it. You don't get one seed, one plant, one joint, one gummy bear. You don't get any. And if you do, you're violating federal law, in which case you could be prosecuted by the Attorney General. And you could be sentenced and you could be imprisoned, as many people are. I received a phone call last week from an inmate that I didn't know about. And a couple of months back, we had a guest uh, by the name of Ashley Weber, and she runs uh, a Colorado normal chapter, and she's an advocate and a hemp farmer and an all-around pretty bitchin' person. And um, she contacted me a couple weeks back and said, hey, I've got this inmate, and uh, he's looking for some help. Do you mind if I give him your number? And I said, sure, of course. You know, this is part of what we do in the Human Solution International is not only do we 
raise up people that are fighting cases. Not only do we stand by people, whether they have a, um, a legitimate case or not, whether they're following their law or not, um, we'll stand by anybody because we frankly believe the laws are bad. And if you're getting facing charges because of the cannabis plant, the human solution will likely stand by you if indeed that's what you want. One of the other things we do is if things go bad or from bad to worse, um, and you end up finding yourself locked up, we'll stand by you there too. I've met many of our members, some of our chapter coordinators, at the time that they were locked up and had a conversation with them or their spouse or their advocate and eventually they got out and eventually they started we started working together. Um, there is not a time that the human solutions education and support doesn't have a value. And at this time of year when people are winding down their year and, you know, reflecting on what they did last year and what they're going to be doing this next year, um, exchanging gifts, returning gifts, shopping for deals and discounts, getting their final end-of-year books done, all the things that we do, we have to remember that every single day, People are still getting arrested. People are still getting charged. People are still getting tried, convicted, mostly taking deals. And people are getting incarcerated. As much as many don't believe it, as much as many believe that, you know, it's legal now, they don't do that anymore. In California, we passed a law that says if you are even charged with a cultivation crime or distribution or whatever the heck it is, it's supposed to be only a misdemeanor, except I know of several cases uh, that felonies were charged and the people are fighting felony cases because there's always a way around it. If you're a prosecutor, um, you don't get any points by going after misdemeanor cases. You get points by going after major felony cases. So what do we do? Uh, we have enhancements. We have we look for anything besides the pot to go after. So maybe you had some other substance, or maybe you had uh, a weapon, or maybe you had a previous conviction of something. That's what they'll do is take that and use it against you and stack things up in such a way that they can go after these big cases. You know, because nobody wants a, a local uh, patient just trying to medicate themselves. They want the kingpin. They want the big uh, kahuna. They want the drug lord. They want the guy with all the marbles. And that's who they think we are. You know, they pull over a, an 80-year-old man and a woman that has some pot, a bunch of pot, 50, 60 pounds worth. 80-year-old couple driving around with 60 pounds of pot. You know, when I say that, good for them. What the hell do we care if they're driving around with 80 pounds of pot for? 
what could they have done with that pot to make it dangerous? What could they have done with that pot to make it uh, a criminal act? How could they have gotten a victim? Unless maybe they stole that pot, in which case I say that's a, a wily group of, uh, of, of old folks. But the truth is, regardless of why they had that pot or how they got that pot, the truth is they were driving around with a bunch of pot in their car. And now they're in jail. And now they're facing charges. I don't know if they've been actually charged yet, but they sure made big headlines in the news. Um, we've got cases all over the place. People from California traveling to other places and picking up the case. Um, we've got a guy, and we're going to talk about the inmates uh, a little bit later on, but this guy that I was just talking about, uh, name is Luke uh, Tillman, and he may be calling into the show today. Craig Cecil will likely be calling into the show today, and today's actually an open mic day. I don't have a regularly scheduled guest. Um, I see that we've got some folks on the live stream, and <coughs> excuse me, Lisa's running a live stream. We've got a double, a double stream going on right now, and uh, <coughs> excuse me, I don't have a cough button. Hell, I don't even have a studio. <laughs> I do have a cup of coffee, I do have a laptop, and I do have a phone, and that allows me to do this podcast. Um, so today we're going to be doing an open mic show. I'm going to be welcoming everybody to call in and tell me what you're willing to do to help end prohibition. Uh, this is our last show of the year, and let's let it be a reflective show few years back, um, a few years back I had just been convicted by a jury of my peers, 12 counts of sales of a controlled substance. I had been in an 18-day trial. Fortunately, I had people all around me. Uh, that had watched the travesty that was my trial. I was railroaded in the worst possible way. Um, and I was convicted. I can remember getting called into the court. The jury has reached a verdict. And I walked in there. Uh, couldn't be more tense. You know, this is what it was all leading up to. I had hoped course, that there would at least be a, um, a hung jury or I'd be found innocent. But the judge didn't allow for me to present a very good case and basically cast everything in a dark light, um, put disparity on uh, all of my witnesses and, and shined a light on all of theirs. And First, they read the verdict on my co-defendant, who was the owner of the business. Although we were partners, <clears throat> he had a little bit more culpability. They found him guilty on all counts. And, of course, that sucked a lot. But 
in some small way, I was hoping that maybe they, you know, took him and would leave me alone. And then they read my verdict, and they found me guilty of all counts. And my heart dropped to the floor. I was uh, soon to be a felon. Of course, you're not a felon until you're sentenced. And so, fortunately, the judge, the only decent thing this judge did was allow allowed me to remain out of custody prior to sentencing. I was able to um, I was able to remain home for the holidays, and my sentencing came in the first part of January. And during this time, I was very reflective. I was very thoughtful. I was very upset. I was angry. I was still trying to figure out some way to move forward. I didn't give up, even though, you know, it seemed that I had been sunk. I, I continued to uh, put videos out. I, For whatever reason, <clears throat> I thought it to be a good idea to put a video out every single day, 30 days leading up to my trial, every day of my trial, and even after I was convicted. And the reason I did that was to make a record of the process. Um, I can't think of an event in my life. I'm 51 years old now, and I can't think of 18 days of my life that were more traumatic than those 18 days. Maybe the days I spent in custody. Maybe, I don't know. But those days in that trial <coughs> were... 18 days of hell, and I knew that that was going to happen, and so I figured, you know, let's make a record of this whole process. So 30 days prior to the trial, I started, and um, I do a little two to five minute video, and I talk about what was going on, what was what it was like to fight a medical marijuana case in California, and what it was like to organize uh, support for that case, what it was like to have a defense taken from you, what it was like to um, face the justice system and find out that it wasn't just at all, <clears throat> that it was a legal system and it operated within the legal bounds of, of, of the rules, or sometimes not. <clears throat> I uh, described what it was like to organize support and, and to be part of it. There were uh, videos that were taken during rallies and, and uh, you know, during this whole process. But after I was convicted, obviously, uh, things took a different tone. And when you get convicted of felonies, especially multiple felonies like I was, you're looking at you know, a serious outcome, and I knew the prosecutor uh, had her heart set on me getting locked up, and um, she was going after the high sentence, so I was literally facing, on a first-time offense, I was facing one year for every felony, which would have amounted to 12 years served concurrently, which means one after another, or consecutively, sorry. I would have served 12 consecutive years. Um, in California, I would have done six years, which means 
had I been taken into custody on sentencing in January 2012, um, in this last January 2017, I probably would have been released, and I would have probably been a year out of custody. And I don't know if there would have been a human solution or not. I would hope so, but it's hard to say. But I remained defiant. I knew I hadn't committed a crime. I knew it was really, um, you know, I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but I don't have a guest today, and so I'm just going to kind of share my thoughts a little bit. When my trial started and I rejected their final plea deal, my attorney came to me and he said, Joe, you know, this is it. This is, I know you've been putting up a good front and, um, you know, this is your last chance to accept a deal. And if you don't take it, I told you this court is not going to give you any love. And he says, he says, you know, I just need to know if we're moving forward where you stand. And I remember looking at him thinking to myself, are you fucking kidding me? I, I was flabbergasted. I, my attorney is supposed to know where I'm at. So I literally made a motion like I was pushing my chips to the center of the table, and I said, Chris, I'm all in. I'm the one that's going to go to prison if I lose this, but I can't in good conscience bow down and say I did something I didn't do. And if I took a deal... That's what I would have to do. My kids were grown up. If I did end up getting sentenced, I wasn't going to miss out on raising my kids. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it wouldn't suck. I'm not saying it wouldn't have maybe cost me my marriage and my home and everything else. But sometimes you have to just decide that something's worth fighting for. I may be part of a dying breed. I don't see a lot of younger folks standing up for much. I mean, you know, they'll go to a rally and go, rah, 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 we hate Trump. But beyond that, um, I don't see a lot of sacrifices being made. I'm not saying that there aren't any. I'm just saying I don't see a lot. And I said, this is worth fighting for. So from the time that I got convicted until my sentencing hearing, I continued to put these videos out, knowing that it was going to um, maybe hurt my case. And it did. Uh, but I specifically called out my prosecutor. I specifically called out the detective in the case. I called out the judge. I named everybody by name, and I and I talked about why my trial was so corrupt, why it was why it was so much so that I was railroaded. And, and I I don't know had I gotten a fair trial, and I just lost, if I would be as as angry or as passionate about all of this as I am. But I'm still pissed off about it, even though at the end I won. What they put me through, what they put my family through, what they put my loved ones through, um, there's nothing fair in the world. There's nothing fair in the world. So that being said, at this time and six years ago, that's where I was standing. I was, I was in a, a very dark and difficult time. And every time I come to this time of year, I always go back to that place and I reflect and I think to myself, where am I at now? What's different? What what, what have we learned? What what progress have we made? And, you know, every every year goes by, we, we make some progress. We pass some laws. We, we, we make some ground. But the one thing I've noticed 
is that as we pass laws, the people that once were advocates and activists start businesses. And they start a cookie company or they start a vape company or they start a whatever little gizmo gadget company and they get into the green rush. And the next thing you know, the questions I get, rather than what can we do to end prohibition, I get questions about, hey, did you find out about this licensing? Did you find out about the regulations? Did you find out about this and that and the other thing? And I tell people the very same thing every time. I go, you know, it's all bullshit. I'm really not interested in that right now because the only people that are going to benefit from California's law are people that are willing to put a whole bunch of money down. And what that does is it makes it so everybody who can't put a whole bunch of money down um, becomes considered a criminal. And it will be accepted to go after those criminals because they didn't get with the program. They didn't follow the rules. And I just can't get behind that. I think everybody should have access to this plant. Everybody should be able to grow it, make oil with it, make products with it, make gizmos, gadgets, widgets, gummy bears, whatever the hell you want to make, you should be able to make it without anybody crawling up your ass, without anybody demanding you get uh, a certificate, or without anybody demanding you get a license, uh, uh, pay these taxes, do this, do that, do the other thing, treat it like chamomile. That's all I think. It's a plant. I just don't know why this plant has to be treated different than the others. What a poor thing this plant must feel like to be excluded from all the other plants. Imagine if you were a plant. We would call that racism. What do we do if we treat a person different from all the other people? Oh, you're bad. You're racist. You're friggin' uh, a bigot. We're all equal. We're all the same. We're all people, right? Animals, rights. Animals have treatment. can't treat an animal poorly or you're bad. They're all equal. But plants, they're all equal but one. This one plant gets singled out. It gets treated like a like a alien virus. And even if we're going to allow it, boy, it's got to be tightly regulated. You better put on a bunny suit. You better have uh, lab testing. You better have, you know, you better be careful because this plant could hurt you. And if you don't do this right... So many people are going to be suffering. I have yet to see one time one person suffer because of this plant. People have been smoking good weed and crappy weed forever. You think the, the Chinese back 5,000 years ago cared about lab testing? You think there wasn't a little powder mildew on their plant? I'm not saying you should have powder mildew. I'm just saying that at the end of the day, this plant is one of the least harmful substances on the planet. And I just don't know why we have to make it such a criminal act. So what I'm going to ask you all and anybody that I bring up on the show today, and I'm going to bring everybody up on the show today. If I don't get enough people that want to talk, I'll bring you up anyways and ask you a question because I can. I'm going to ask you this. What are you willing to do to help end prohibition? I have this little nonprofit called the Human Solution International, and I have a bunch of members and I have a bunch of chapters. But what I don't have are a bunch of people actually helping me in prohibition. And we're working real hard right now to get some chapters raised up. And we've got a new chapter in Ohio. We've got a new chapter in Hawaii. 
and we have a new chapter in New York that are just uh, coming to life, and we're going to be spending a bunch of time helping those chapters get get a leg up. But we still have a global problem. We still have a national problem. We have an international problem. And regardless of what the law says, prohibition still reigns. There isn't one place in the United States or Canada or Australia, New Zealand, any of the places that we think that you can grow as much pot as you want, make anything you want with it, drive with it, do whatever you want with it without suffering consequences. All right, we got Craig Cecil, and then after that we're going to get back to it, and we're going to have Michelle Button, Craig, Glenn, Keeling, and uh, everybody else is going to come join us here. But first, Craig. Craig Cecil, how are you doing today? Welcome to the last show of the year. Hello, Joe. Welcome from the Midwest. <laughs> well, I, I really wouldn't have liked to go on my little jog Cindy with me. Uh, when I went outside, the jog, it was 12 degrees. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm definitely not into 12 degrees. Today, it was probably about 75 degrees. Um, it was probably in the low 60s when we woke up, and it's probably about 65 right now. I think it was about two or three degrees in the morning, and it was at the height of the day. It was, let's say, 12 degrees. Well, there are a lot of reasons I don't live where you live, and the weather is certainly one of them. (laughs) You probably don't even own a snow shovel, so. Well, you know, I I actually do own a snow shovel, but it's never seen the snow. I use it for shoveling manure. Yeah, yeah, but it's technically a snow shovel. But, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, no, snow is one of those things that I like to go drive to for the day and uh, then come home from when we're done. So what's going on uh, out there in uh, Disneyland Midwest? Well, being the week between... Christmas and New Year's, a lot of the prison staff are on vacation, so we're limited from being able to go to recreation or the library or a lot of things we usually do just because they lack staffing. But uh, but the mood is actually pretty good. I mean, people, people, although they're missing their families and, you know, and, you know, it's kind of a rough time of year for us here, everybody's pretty much upbeat and supportive of each other, so... Luckily, I'm amongst a, a pretty good crowd here. <laughs> Did you hear anything more about or from Jimmy Romans? I'm sorry, did I what? Did you hear anything more from or about Jimmy Romans? No, I haven't. Uh, I wish I could. I, I can see the, uh, as I speak right now, I can see the penitentiary, but I, I don't know if he's still there or not. <laughs> well, he sent me a Christmas message. Um, that was kind of generic, and I responded. I told him that um, I'm going to start doing a, a, a words from the the POW segment, and if he had anything he wanted me to say um, to let me know, and I and I specifically asked him if he'd been moved, but I haven't heard back yet, so I don't know. Okay. We need a network of potlifers because all the ones that I have met, I've 
you know, I've, I've come down the line, to tell you the truth. I, I think there's a, a lot of things we have in common, or maybe a lot of what we have in common is you, and you've weeded out the, the evil ones. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's been a few riffraff that have come through the pike, but for the most part, we're the, the network's a good one. George Martorano is going to be coming out um, from the East Coast and staying with us or near us um, in the next couple of weeks, so... He's going to be with me on one show, first part of the year. Fantastic. And, you know, it's funny because we talked about when you and I first met, I met George either shortly before or shortly after I met you. And I remember talking to him in the same way you and I have talked and said, you know, one day we're going we're gonna to get together, we're going to go fishing, we're going to go, you know, uh, smoke a doobie together or just hang out. And he he knew that that was going to happen, even though there, at the time he had no hope of getting out. And sure as shit, three years later, uh, he got released. And, again, I see the same happening for you. <laughs> okay, well, you can go warm up those hooks. <laughs> I'm hoping to use one of them. Absolutely. I I got my son-in-law to be a fishing pole and a reel for Christmas, and I I that was the deal was we're gonna have to use them. So I'm I'm ready. Fantastic. And the good news is every time it it seems that I look at the TV news or whatever, there's some segment about marijuana on there. So I mean it's it just become part of the mainstream news. Uh, you know, I think uh, marijuana's coming in the second uh, talking talking about Donald Trump. So. But it's good. That, I mean, we're, we're getting this kind of exposure, and people are just kind of getting used to marijuana being part of mainstream life now. Yeah, definitely. The stigma is getting watered down, that's for sure. The problem is I think still people are focusing on, you know, getting their business started, and they're not focusing on, finishing the job, and that's kind of what this show's about is I'm looking to see what my listeners, what, what the audience is willing to do to help me end Prohibition once and for all. Well, the, the coverage here about your new marijuana retailing, I believe, starting next week, starting at the first of the year, is the coverage here in the Midwest about it is they're kind of upset that California seems to be doing more fumbling than uh, <laughs> advancing downfield, and that they're just kind of slow in getting it going. But that says a lot, just that the, you know, that the culture that they're pushing on the news is that California is just not getting it out there in the stores quick enough. And boy, that's a change from a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. California has never been a very business-friendly state. Uh, we've got the most regulations and taxes of of any place around. And, you know, for the last 10 or 20 years, businesses have been fleeing California. Now, all of a sudden, we pass a couple of laws, and now businesses are thriving or, or preparing themselves to thrive in California. But the problem is the way that the, the taxation and regulation is set up, it's going to be... It's going to be a clusterfuck, pardon my French, but it's it's going to be problematic at very least to get this thing working right. Well, remember, I'm from Illinois, and it's been well 
year since they passed their medical marijuana uh, laws, and uh, they're still struggling trying to get it. Let's call it from a federal prison. Really up and running, uh, other than for, uh, you know, a very small few. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think people are just, they, they don't want to stand up and say, I'm the one that approved all this, or, you know. I, you know, it's government people just lacking guts to, to show leadership. Yeah, that's one of the problems that we're always going to be facing, I think, is that somebody needs to stand up and own it. And, you know, when you're in Congress, nobody really wants to take the lead. we got a couple of, of, of uh, congressmen and senators. you got Cory Booker and you got a couple of others that have, uh, you know, taken some initiative. But nobody's really stood up and, and really taken a lot of strength on this. Although apparently in Hawaii, I, I'm sorry, uh, Albert uh, Thomas isn't on right now, but he told me that there's a, an elected official in Hawaii that's actually running on a, or, or a candidate, I should say, that's running on an in-prohibition platform. And more and more people, I think, are stepping up and being willing to at least say the words, at least willing to... Uh, to own to own the position that this is prohibition's wrong, you know um, it, it's really it's really there's a mockery been made of of law enforcement and the government with this war on drugs. If you look at you know some of the spoof comics, there was one I saw the other day, and it was a, a comic of a of a newscaster, and he said this just in the war on drugs. Congratulations, the drugs won. Yeah. And I just thought it was hilarious because <laughs> it's true, the drugs did win. You know, there's, there, you can't have a war on the substance. It just doesn't work out. That's true, that's true. And in California, or rather Hawaii, seems to be a perfect fit for uh, recreational marijuana. If you look, there seems to be a lot of tourism that, that chases the marijuana stage. Starting in Colorado and you know now Nevada, and, <laughs> I mean uh, it seems like the the areas that you know uh, really strive to promote tourism, those are the areas that are making marijuana and marijuana you know tourism kind of things available. And I think that does a lot for everybody else when they start to see the money flowing into Colorado and elsewhere. Well, you know, I think maybe even as important as that or maybe more important is the fact that in all these places where they've done this, there has not been an uptick in crime. There has not been anarchy, mayhem. Society hasn't collapsed in any possible way. In fact, it's business as usual. There's been, in many cases, a, a, a drop in violent crimes. Um, there's a rise in tax revenue. And frankly, there it would be hard to demonstrate a true negative effect to society. Well, as it's, we've said, you know, we pointed out many times, where's the victim? You know, where can you find the victim? Even with alcohol, you can find people that, you know, been poisoned by alcohol and, you know, have died. You know, due to car accidents or whatever else related to impairment from alcohol. And it's just so rare to find that from marijuana. I mean, there is some obscure cases of it, but they're extremely rare. 
Well, you know, the thing is, is alcohol claims tens of thousands of victims every single year. And the marijuana victims that they've, that they've claimed, they've reached broadly across uh, a stream of potentially related events, and they, they, they made a leap of logic that's not logical. You know, I showed up at work today. I had shaved my beard today. I got fired today, uh, therefore shaving my beard makes me get fired. There's no logic there. It doesn't talk about all the other things that I probably got fired for. Um, and, you know, they've done the same thing. A kid gets, or, or an individual eats a pot brownie, um, an individual has a heart problem, an individual goes to the hospital, um, an individual has a heart episode, and they automatically say, well, it was the pot that did it because he had pot. And they don't talk about the fact that, you know, he was a, a heart attack waiting to happen. They don't talk about the anxiety factor. They don't talk about any of the things that potentially could have been contributing factors to this. All they notice is he had pot, therefore, clearly, the pot caused this. Get on the... Ah, 
Happens every time. Well, that was Craig Cecil, currently serving life in prison without possibility of parole. And um, for anybody who wonders, you know, why do you keep doing this? Your case is over. Why do you care about things that aren't affecting you anymore? Uh, this is why. Craig Cecil doesn't get to come home and see his family tonight. Craig Cecil's lost virtually everything he's had. He has a daughter, and um, I think he's got a couple of other family members. Lost his son a couple of years back, passed away. And what we do by caring, by being part of a community that doesn't forget about these people makes a difference. And I speak to Craig both on and off the air, and I know that the ability that Craig has to connect to this organization and outside this organization, people that care, makes a significant difference in his life. And you've heard on this show number many, many inmates, people that are free now. And if you listen back to any of the archive shows, there's a common thread, and they all say the same thing. You know, I was locked up for a period of time, and I didn't have any communication with the outside world. And then all of a sudden, somebody sent me a letter. They sent me a, a you know, a little postcard and said, hey, we know you're in here. Um, just know that we care. Began a conversation with somebody that we didn't know. And the difference that that made was so profound that every single inmate that's been released that I've talked to has clarified that and been extremely grateful and in many cases I'd say it was a game changer so anyways um, I have rambled on far enough for this show and we've got a good chunk left to let you folks call in and ramble on uh, Bobby Rodrigo just popped on always want to hear what he has to say he's been saving the world Puerto Rico is a better place because of Bobby and we want to hear about the progress he's made so, if you're listening right now and you want to uh, you want to give a shout out, you want to let us know what you're willing to do to end prohibition, all you got to do is hop on the phone and you dial 646-929-2495. And our amazing screener, Noncompliant Mary, will pick up the phone and ask you what's up. Um, so, before we get started here with our guests, I want to Give a shout-out to the Coffee Party and the Coffee Party Radio Network, who apparently this show is more or less dominating. Um, but that's okay. There's been a lot of great shows historically, and my hope is that many more will come. But right now this show is uh, carrying the load, and we're very grateful for the Coffee Party for giving us a voice and uh, a way to reach out using this platform. All right, so we've got Michelle Button. I haven't heard from Michelle in a long time. And I've been hoping she'd be calling in. So we're going to bring up Michelle first. And then we're going to bring up Bobby Rodrigo. Haven't heard from him in a few. And then we got uh, Glenn Keeling from Ohio. Um, brand new chapter just chartered. And we're going to talk about his case and what we can do to uh, light up the Ohio chapter. So first of all, we got Michelle Button. Michelle, welcome back to the show. It's great to hear your voice. Hi, Joe. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad you could make it back. So tell us what's been going on. 
I have been in my drug education classes on Wednesdays. Gotta love it, right? And have you educated some drugs? <laughs> I've been educating them about how it's a medicine, and they're not too happy with me about how I am vocal in the class about it. But I well, can't stay quiet, so. One of the things we like about you. So, yes, I have uh, till the end of January with the rest of classes. They let us off for today for the holiday, but um, that's part of my sentencing was to do these classes and stuff. Um, so, But I was willing to do what it took so that I could have my record expunged when it's all said and done. Well, you've been doing a great job, so... Um, you've got still another month or so, and then that's it? Well, I have to finish up the probation um, until August, but they said because I've been above and beyond compliant with everything that I can go to the clerk's office um, at the beginning of March, which will be the halfway mark, and request a um, a time in front of the judge and my probation officer and everyone else said that they would be more than willing to come to court and speak on my behalf, that I've done everything I should and there's no reason that I should have to continue on for, with this. Well, that's fantastic. My, you know, every fine is paid. Community service is done. Everything is done. And frankly, they don't need to be burdened with keeping tabs on you. I mean, you know, you were never a threat to them, and I think they finally realize it. No, and they moved my husband to um, on even though in the end he'll still be a felon a convicted felon, but they moved him to unsupervised probation for the rest of his term. All he has to do is answer seven questions online once a month, and he's good to go. Well, and who knows? Maybe uh, uh, your state will pass something that allows for, uh, you know, old pot cases to be expunged. California... Uh, even though our law is terrible, one of the things that it does have a provision for are many um, simple possession cases and uh, cultivation cases can be expunged now. Um, and who knows what will happen. But at the end of the day, just, you know, getting out from under the, the, the thumb of these people is what you need to do. Yes, for our children's sake, because it has been no fun having – um, the probation office come too deep once a month to check the whole house out. It disrupts our life. Um, all for medicine. All for How many times have you been out since this thing started? Pardon? How many times have they been out since this thing started? Um, they have been out every month since May when he, my husband took his plea bar, plea offer. Oh. 
And sometimes well, that's, twice that's, a month, depending see, on if it was his officer or my officer that would come. Wow. Well, hopefully they've got they've had you know a, a, enough of this clean and wholesome house that you guys run that maybe they've just had enough of it. You know, they, there's there's not much hope of them uncovering anything that, you know, would, would, would tickle their fancy and give them a reason to give you grief. Uh, you know, it seems Even much like the, you- the Friday before Thanksgiving, the tax revenue department, because that's one thing about our state, is we have this drug tax that apparently if you're caught with pot, you get not only criminally charged, you get civilly charged with another tax. And because we've been appealing it, I know, right? So because we've been appealing it, they came out with a no-knock search warrant the Friday before Thanksgiving, um, about 15 deep, um, to search the whole property to see what they could seize of our property to help pay towards this tax. And at the end of the day, they took nothing. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, it was probably a training program for them. You know, they love to break out those battering rams and put those face masks on because it, it just makes them feel so strong. I'm just so glad the kids were in school that time. Yes, yes. That's the one thing that, that kills me when they do these things is, you know, young kids and animals end up being victimized and they are innocents in this. Not that you're not innocent, but they couldn't cause any problem. You know, there's not anything they could do to be criminal, and yet they get treated the same way. You know, they they get traumatized. Uh, You know, imagine from a young child not understanding any of this, to see people with guns and and yelling and just being animals, you know, wrecking your house the way that they would do for a dangerous, terrible person. It's, it's, it's... It is. It's... And here I'm in class with someone that has been, I'm trying to help her out too because she got caught with 64 pounds at a traffic stop. But they charged her with the book, and in the end she got the same plea offer as I did. I'm no like, way. Oh. Yes. Yeah, 64 pounds, packaged for sale, like 20-something. I looked her up, too, when she was like, you can look me up. It was Mother's Day 2015, and sure enough, there she was on the front page of our local newspaper, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And she, they gave her – I had to fight tooth and nail to get this plea offer. Well, you were mouthy though, so that's that. You know, that's one of the things that happens when we get a little, a little, uh, a little loud and 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 self-righteous. They don't like that too much at all. They they do what they can to to put their boot on our neck, and uh, you know, it's it it's screwed up. I think it was you or somebody um, somebody that knows you had shared with me that article about that 80-year-old couple that got popped. Um, just last week or something like that, traveling. I shared and they that had, with you. It was in our yeah, local yeah. news. 
I'm like, and they're yeah, putting them yeah, in jail true. with no bail? Are you kidding right. me? They're 80 years old. You know, these 80-year-olds driving around with putting their car, you know, they're just going to be the end of us all. I know. Jeez. We're going to end America because of it. Well, so tell me, Michelle, I know you've been doing a great job, um, you know, demonstrating the, the, the whole idea of standing your ground. Even though you took a deal, it was the wise thing to do for you. And you still stood your ground. You d- wouldn't take a deal unless they gave it to you in such a way that allowed you to get your life back and and not be permanently scarred by this when it's all said and done. Um, I was set you, for trial. I mean, we were there ready to for pre-trial, and finally that's when they were like, okay, let's give her what she wants. Exactly, and that's you know, and that's the kind of stuff that you know I talk week after week about about how it can make a difference just standing your ground and whether, you know, you take your lumps or whether you, you, you put them down, it's the standing your ground that makes that difference and it, and it inspires the next person and the next person. And if we don't do that, eventually it's just going to be a cattle car. You know, they, they lock you up and you just go right to this room and go take your deal and go do what they say. And, you know, it's it's, it's one step closer to... Uh, even less freedom that we're supposed to be, you know, entitled to. So tell me, what are you thinking next year, you know, rather than listing uh, uh, resolutions and all this, what do you <laughs> I think don't have one. The best, <laughs> what do you think the best thing that you could do to help us end prohibition would be? Well, um, as Craig said, I guess I will be more persistent um with figuring out who my who represents me for where I live on a federal status for Congress and Senate and just be even more vocal than I have been on the state level be that more on the federal level Excellent. Well, you know we've got two new East Coast chapters of the Human Solution. We got one in Ohio and one in New York that's just forming. So we're starting to to spread out along the East Coast. I'm hoping to to get a a North Carolina, South Carolina chapter going before too long. Well, that would include us. And I'm very vocal. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I... And like I said, I I can write well, I can type well, I can speak well. I may not be lawyer smart, but I I don't let anybody but run me it, over. It takes to to, to be helpful here, and um, we're very grateful that you're standing your ground and, and that you're sharing your experience with everybody else. That's what makes this work. Is is that. Not only do we stand up, but we share that we're just regular people, you know. I mean, as as amazing as you might be, you're a regular person. You're a mom, you're a wife, you're a, a homemaker, you're you're just like the rest of us. I mean, you're 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 a regular person and you weren't groomed by some, 
you know, you didn't grow up in a commune that was, you know, taught you to stand up and fight the man. You, you, you're just a regular person, and I, and I mean that in the most positive way. All of us regular people are what makes the difference. When we make the choice to not be pushed around, not be bullied, not be, uh, you know, you're supposed to be raising your kids to, to, to believe in right and wrong, and when you get wrongly uh, attacked and wrongly accused, Standing up is the right thing to do, and I, and I bet your kids are awful proud of you. Yeah, I even had to write a letter to the tax department today telling them, look, you did not do my civil justice of following through with my appeal. We, you know, we talked to the administrative law judge who said he'd pull the case, he'd have everything looked at by SBI, which is State Bureau of Investigations here. And they never did that for us. And here they were showing up with a no-knock. And so I know in in the back of my mind that the county's already destroyed all the evidence because the DA was very adamant about that at my sentencing. But I'm still going to push forward. You're going to prove to me that this was what you say it is and that I owe you what I say I owe you. And if you can't, then you're going to have to drop it. Well, hopefully that they'll, uh, they'll, they'll see the light in that and let go of that one as well. Well, Michelle, I, I'm, I'm really grateful that you were able to come and join us again. And, um, you know, we'll be talking uh, around the first of the year we're going to be having a uh, board meeting tomorrow. Um, we're going to be discussing our plans for the first part of the, you know, for the upcoming year. And one of the things that I'm bringing to the table is uh, reinforcing and building uh, the chapters um, and really starting to spend some more one-on-one -on -one time with the people that are um, taking a stand, the people that are, that are making the difference. And, um, you know, I think that that's where our efforts are best spent right now. So. Um, just want to thank you for, for being here and doing what you're doing and, and showing us, uh, you know, what you're made of. You don't have to thank me. I need to thank you guys completely. That's where the thanks is owed, is to you guys. Well, there we go. So we'll, we'll be a, a, a self-fulfilling prophecy and thank each other. And that's how <laughs> it really goes. We're all part of the solution. We're all part of this. And you know what? Uh, we're going to win. That's all there is to it. You know, we've, we've put our heads down. Uh, we've resigned that we're going to end prohibition and start clearing the way for uh, the civil and human rights that we all deserve. We're born with them. Somehow they get, you know, muzzled and, and taken from us as we get older, but that doesn't make them not ours. They're still ours. Those rights that we were born with, we have today and we'll have the day we die. We just have to take them. Yes, and stand up for them. Beautiful. All right, once again, Michelle Button from North Carolina, uh, a warrior and uh, an inspiration to those who get caught up in a case and feel like, um, you know, there's no way out of this. Uh, pay attention to what Michelle's done and is doing and realize that you can be victorious. Thanks again, Michelle. We will talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. All right, have a happy new year. All right, up next we got Bobby Rodrigo, and then we're going to bring Glenn Keeling, 
And then Tom Corby, and we'll see who else pops in. Um, we're doing pretty good. we got about an hour left of the show, and we'll keep going as long as there's good things to talk about. Before I bring up Bobby Rodrigo, though, um, I want to get back to Luke Tillman. And, again, uh, Ashley Weber brought Luke to my attention, or us to his attention, and he specifically has asked us to help him. And so um, I'm going to read this letter that he sent, and uh, it'll give you a little background uh, about Luke and what we can do. This is a kind of a, a sounds like it would be an easy solution, but I don't know how to do it. All right. Hi, Joe. This is Luke Tellman. I'm a federal prisoner that called you last week after my referral from Ashley Weber at Normal. I thought I should give you some preliminary information about what I'm trying to do and the information that I'm looking for. I was arrested by state police in December 2015 and was eventually charged with 841A1B, possession of around 650 plants. I pled out due to bad judgment and a terrible attorney and was sentenced to the mandatory minimum of 60 months. My guideline range, however, was only 37 to 46 months. I've been incarcerated since 2015, but as my sentence was ran concurrent to a state sentence triggered by the same offense, I was on probation for a possession charge from six years prior, and my federal sentence was run consecutive to my state sentence. I've only received credit for about six months of my federal sentence so far. I signed away my direct appeal with the plea, and I'm currently finishing up my 2255 habeas corpus motion, alleging, among other things, an unequal protection claim based on geography. I didn't meet a single criterion of the Cole memo and was nevertheless persecuted, prosecuted, when countless other violators who do meet the criteria are ignored in states with more reasonable marijuana laws. Especially, the feds have largely applied a hands-off policy to many states with legal medical and recreational marijuana and continue to prosecute indiscriminately in areas which haven't relaxed these laws. Even my judge said at sentencing that it was selective prosecution, but my lawyer never brought any pretrial motions concerning it. That's it in a nutshell. What I need is very simple but difficult to find. I have individual cases of similarly situated people who weren't prosecuted but need some statistics comparing the number of prosecutions between states in any given year from 2014 to the present. Wyoming as compared to Colorado would be ideal, but I could make virtually any comparison of a legal and not legal state to work to demonstrate this general trend. All the stats exist of government websites, but none of them are compiled. If there's anyone you know that could possibly help in any way, I would be immeasurably grateful. I have roughly a month left to turn in my motion, and I'm contacting you at the 11th hour. I'll look forward to hearing back from you. I appreciate talking to you and giving me the time of day. Sincerest regards and gratitude, Luke Tillman. So, what we need, and this is something that anybody could do, I'm hoping that somebody will will pick up this ball and run with it a little bit. Let's find some stats. You know, in my case, it was a similar issue, but on a state level, um, 
it was stymied. They said, you know what, we can prosecute who we want, and we don't have to prosecute anybody we don't want. I don't know, um, you know, how the the 14th Amendment or is it the 14th? I think it is. Anyways, equal protection under the law. We're supposed to be equally protected by the law and from the law. And yet, it happens all the time. Laws are enforced subjectively and uh, geographically where and when it's convenient for those that feel like enforcing them. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of factors, um, money, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, asset forfeiture is often a big issue, um, where government grants are for uh, um, enforcing or, or, you know, uh, stepping up this war on drugs. Uh, a lot of times federal money gets brought in and, and magically uh, more cases get picked up. The feds um, technically are not supposed to be funding cases where uh, a, a state legal action has happened in a state that has that. Although as much as I think we want to prove that it's happening in one place or not another. I think that in many cases it happens plenty in, in states where there's uh, legal protections. But either way, I'd love to get these stats. I'd love to help out Luke. Um, he may be calling us either this week or next week, and I'd love to have something to give him. So this is a project. I'm reaching out to all my researchers, everybody who might want to help, think, doesn't know what they can do. Help me find some stats on the federal prosecutions of cannabis cases in any state, and let's begin to compile this. All right, we got Bobby Rodrigo. Bobby Rodrigo, of course, is with the Coffee Party. Um, he's also a member of the Human Solution. He's also a member of We Do Better. He's also a member of this, that, and every other thing. His resume is longer than, I don't know, long things. Um, anyways, Bobby's been doing some amazing work helping out uh, uh, the effort in Puerto Rico. I just met some people from Puerto Rico um, just the other day. They came out to my place, and they told me a little bit about some stuff that was happening in their local area. But, Bobby, uh, long time no talk to you. Welcome to the show. How's it going out there? Good, man. How you doing, Joe? Happy New Year and Merry Christmas and to you and everybody in the human solution international and all your listeners and, and uh, happy to stop by. Actually, you can, uh, we can thank Lisa Woolridge. Uh, I happen to, I, I'm, <clears throat> I'm actually home, Joe. I got Woo-hoo! home for the first time. Yes. Right. I got home for the first time since the first day of hurricane Harvey on Saturday, this past Saturday. And um, wow. I actually, yeah. First day, man, and uh, so I was, I was sitting in my recliner. I, I uh, <laughs> was getting ready to just got off the phone with Joe, my secretary huh? Megan. Yeah, I was. I, I just got off the phone with my secretary Megan, who you know, and yes, and I, did. I, I yep, yeah, and and I was, and I was uh, just browsing. I was, I was uh, talking to my lady Christy, who's actually listening, I believe, on the, on the call. I invited her, and uh, and. I Lisa Woolridge popped up in my feed uh uh doing a live video of you. And I'm like, oh my god, what <laughs> so I'm like, 
oh, my God, it's Wednesday. So let me call. Because <laughs> you know I have no idea what day it is. And, and, and now I know what day it is because it's like, and, and I'm chuckling listening to you talking about holding down the fort for Coffee Party Radio because, of course, it was I who invited you to Coffee Party Radio originally. And, hey, you and didn't tell you me I'd be the last here, did you? <laughs> well, no. Well, you know. you Now, you know that's not the case. You know I take liberty with my coffee is coming back. We ain't gone anywhere, man. We've just, we just been in Puerto Rico, and, you know, hanging out. On, you know, on hey, the you know what? I'm just reaching out, reaching out, enjoying all this room. I could put a show on any day, anywhere, anytime. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so, so I got I to... Gotta, before we get into our little chit chat, I, I, I want to talk about Luke, real quick. Yeah. Um, as you as you know, I, I you know you know where my head's at with all of these things, and I wanted to point a couple of things out that are very important as people begin to research, and I'm happy to dive into that uh, as much as I can over the next you know week or so. But first of all, uh, I want to make clear that the 14th Amendment does not apply to a 2255. Because it is a federal, uh, what a 2255 actually is called is a motion to vacate a sentence. It's actually not a habeas corpus, um, which is a 2254. Uh, it, it, is, it basically follows the same rules, but the 14th Amendment does not apply because it is a federal case. So actually, due process is the standard. That is how they deal with equal protection on the federal level. 14th Amendment applies to the states. That's number one, it's very important. Number two is needs, you mentioned. Right? Again? Because who needs it, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Equal right, protection right, is exactly. overrated, really. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, well, I mean, obviously, uh, they had to, they had to make a, a, you know, another amendment because obviously it wasn't covered properly. I suppose one could say. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, that's another long discussion, but 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 for the purposes it, of it did the due process enough, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, but you know, it, it, and it's really important because as it is in any, because remember now, everyone, habeas corpus is a civil action, not a criminal action. It is essentially a civil action uh, that is filed. And it has, and again, it, it has the power to challenge a conviction, but it is completely civil. It is, a, it is called a collateral attack. You know, basically coming from outside the case is what that means. It's like having collateral damage is a very good analogy. You know, you bomb a building and the people in the next building get hit. It's a very good analogy in understanding collateral attack. The, the, all these things are important because the, 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 most in, the hardest thing that Luke is facing, especially if he winds up doing this continually in pro se, is to get past summary judgment because there are standards that are filed by, and it will, and if he's if he's challenging a federal sentence, it's going to be it's going to be the Attorney General of the United States, an assistant, a, 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 and it's going to be an AAG from the Department of Justice that from that from wherever he is, it's going to dive in uh, into that case, uh, and they have their standard uh, responses in order to get the case thrown out at summary judgment. And basically the standard is, is that the, the plaintiff, who is going to be Luke, has, or the petitioner, uh, has not stated a claim in which relief could be granted. And, and that in of itself, that phrase, is where all research must begin on an issue in order to defeat it. Because 
That's the problem. And then the other issue is in that area is that the majority of these actions are, in fact, done pro se because people who are in prison have a hard time affording an attorney. People who are out of prison have a hard enough time affording an attorney. So people who are, who are in prison have a hard time affording an attorney. So a lot of bad petitions are presented by people who are trying to present something within all of these procedural rules. That's why what the Human Solution International is doing is so important. You know, that we, we, you and I and, and, and your board and other people have, have had many discussions about this. That's why it's so important what you're doing and providing, uh, re, you know, uh, research material and documentation and filing papers, you know, creating that library that can help people do these kinds of actions in a way that they will defeat summary judgment and actually be heard on the merits. And that's very, very important in, in order for somebody. It has to happen in order for somebody to win. It has to happen. And, you know, you cannot, you cannot, uh, you don't get the case heard on the merits. And you only get one shot. If you don't get the case heard on the merits, you, you don't get, you know, ne- you never get a shot. So all of these things are important. The research of, of any issue is important. Uh, his approach is going to be a very hard one because of the, as you mentioned, the, 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 uh, the prosecutorial discretion, they have broad discretion. Doesn't mean he's, doesn't mean he's wrong. It's just uh, on the nature of the uh, how he has to get past summary judgment. So everybody you know be what mindful is, of that. Bobby, is is, you know, when you're locked up, there's, there's a, a, a chain of information that is passed around the jail, the prison, wherever you're at, and your, your feed of information is, is somewhat limited aside from whatever TV news you have access to, and, and your legal library, which if you don't know what you're doing in there is, you know, it, it might as well, you know, be, be reading, uh, you know, complex algorithms if you're not a mathematician. It doesn't mean a whole right. lot. But what happens right. is, and, I, and I'm working with prisoners now for, geez, seven or eight years, and sure. there are a, a line of, of, of actions that are sort of cookie cutter that people know that they have available to them. And in in, in Luke's case, he uh, gave up his right to appeal on his plea deal, which is most often the case. You're pleading guilty to a to a crime so that you get a lesser sentence. And part of that plea typically is that you waive your appeal. So without having the appeal, which is most people's first line of of justice. Uh, that habeas corpus or 2255 uh, is the only thing that they know about. And I have many, many inmates that have reached out to me. And and a lot of times, I guess they have a year or or no, they have two years to file it, but they can't really begin anything until after they've been in there for a year. And it's it's a weird dynamic. But almost every time I get reached out to by one of these guys, they have a month or two left to go and then they ask for help. Now, I'm beginning to understand this action, and I have yet to see anybody successfully um, be granted uh, an action that helped them with it, but that doesn't mean it won't and can't happen. Um, Is this a case where an amicus curiae can be submitted along with a brief? No, see, like like I, like we've discussed with you before, amicus is not a, is not something that can be done until it's on the appellate level. 
So right, but I thought you submitted to the appellate court. No, 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 no. Habeas actions are done are done at the district court level. There is the, and then if he loses or or if the or if the or if he wins, either way, it it, it would be appealed, and then it'll go into the Got circuit, it. whatever. Where where is he? Where is he housed? I think he's in Colorado. His, so that's the tenth circuit. Case that's the tenth circuit. Out of circuit. Wyoming, and I think well, he's, that's, yeah, I that's, think that's, he's that's the Torrance that, in Colorado. The, yeah, that's the, that's the that's the tenth circuit. So he's in the tenth circuit. So he'll file in district court, uh, and then uh, if he loses or if he wins, doesn't matter. He or the uh, attorney general can appeal it to the Tenth Circuit. That's when amicus is relevant, and then again, it is done by permission. You know, the amicus has to be requested. And you know, you and I have talked about this, and you've been through this. Uh, it is done. I've been through. But you know, when you right. And so, but but here's the thing. When and this again is also important. And when he reaches back out, and, and you know, and it's great that Ashley Weber did that because, of course, you know, you know, I love and adore Ashley Weber uh, immensely, and and was happy to, you know, I mean, we all got together last time we were all in Colorado, which is great. So anyway, uh, Ashley is a marvelous human being. But uh, the the thing that's important in what he said too that I'm curious about, and I don't know anything about his case, but you may want to ask him, was he in compliance? to whatever state law existed when he was arrested. No, he was in Wyoming, and there wasn't a compliance. Oh, there's no compliance. Right. Okay. So so that doesn't apply. And I know that that's an issue. Yeah, because what what he's trying to do is say that there's there's an unfair or an imbalance in the prosecutions in states that have laws as opposed to they haven't. But you got the Rohrbacher... Um, amendment that defunds federal action in states that are compliant with actions that are compliant. So technically, well, it's more I than that. It's more than that. Yeah, there's more than that going on. You know, because you are allowed, you are allowed to uh, have an evidentiary hearing uh, if you are charged federally. Now, if I'm listening to him right from what his letter said, he was had state charges and federal charges, which is in and of itself interesting if it comes from the same predicate arrest because th- then you have a double jeopardy I- a possibility here, though I would, I would I hope that they were smart enough to charge him. Although I think what happens is that I've seen that happen before where usually, although he said he was serving a state a state. Turn. We got to get you got. You're right. We got to get the details about that because typically the state will drop yeah. the case, the feds pick it up because the feds have a, a a bigger hammer, and I've seen that happen numerous cases. But to Absolutely. see, yeah, you're right. A conviction on a state level turn into a federal. That's just different charges. Yeah, and 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 the, the the interesting thing about that is is what the predicate is for it. You know, what is the underlying evidence? What is the you know, you could argue that it's double. It depends. I mean, we don't know enough. Actually, what what you can do when you have a chance, I'm getting ready to log into Pacer. I can look up his case and see what the at least what the federal charge is. I can't see what the state charge is, but I can see what the federal charge is. Um, and, you know, and take a look what what the indictment says, et cetera. Um, but we, we 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 do need to ask him a couple of questions because if there's a way to help him, hell, let's let's help him. You know, as Absolutely. much as possible. So you know, so well, I uh, with him via see, see what we can so, find out. Yeah. Oh, connection now. 
Yeah, that's that, that's a good thing. So yeah, so everybody, I mean, this is, you know, unfortunately, and then again, you know, <laughs> he didn't go to law school. Joe didn't go to law school. I, you know, it's like, uh, it, no, any, it's the same thing as if you were doing medical. You know, you didn't go to medical school. I mean, it, this is a this is a nightmare, and in any kind of situation when it deals with something like this. So, you know, uh, as Joe pointed out earlier, everybody, if you can help in the research. Uh, in any way, shape, or form, and and the data data like that is available. It just takes a lot of work to pull it because the government doesn't like to find. You know, we just did a data analysis. You know, we do better based you know based upon public services to to the people, but how the government delivers public services, and that was a nightmare trying to to get all that information in any kind of um, quick way. Uh, or accurate way, it was crazy. Uh, we we had a team on it, and, and so anything like this is nuts. But it's there. It's just got to be dug out and figured out and stuff. So everybody, please help him because it is relevant, without a doubt. Well, and and that's one of the things that um, you know, a grassroots all volunteer organization, something like this is totally doable. Uh, we have plenty of people that are disabled, uh, retired, have time on their hands. We also have people that are just research fanatics, and they're good at it. And so, you know, that's what we're looking. Michelle Button's already hit me up as to specifics about this. Michelle, I'll get with you after the show. Um, but at the end of the day, um, if you want to get a hold of, of me, I'm just going to do real easy. My personal phone number is 951-436-6312. Uh, get with me, and I will uh, give you any details that you're missing and we can engage you. This is something that is, you know, we got about a month or so to do what we can, knowing, of course, that there's an appeal if he loses this. Um, you know, it's it's not the end of it, but uh, if we can come forward with a strong motion, um, it can make a difference. What's his last name? Tillman. Um, it's spelled funny, though. Hang on a second. It's T I. L G H M A N. I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking him up now. It was his inmate number is one six six zero nine. No, I already found him. Um, okay. Actually, it looks like he. It looks like he may have filed already. Um, let me see here. They have a Tillman as a petitioner. It looks like he may already have filed. Let's see what this looks like here. Uh, uh, see what we got. Let's see what we got. Motion to vacate. Correct the legal sentence. He has filed. Okay, he, good. He has filed. He has. He has. He's in Inglewood, by the way. Um, oh, okay. He has he has filed 9-11-2017, so let's see where we are. I'll tell you exactly what the case is. Motion to vacate, memorandum in support, order requiring service, notice of attorney, motion of extension, order order granting motion of extension, motion to leave to amend, order. Uh, it is ordered that petition is motion for leave to amend. His petition is granted. Uh, motion to amend, correct. Motion to vacate, okay. Motion for discovery. Mm. Order denying as moot. Motion to amend. Motion for extension. Second motion for extension. 
order granted. The extension has been granted. 1226, motion for deposition of counsel through written interrogatories. Yes, I can tell you from, uh, yeah, he needs help, definitely. Um, just from the nature of the docket sheet, it's it's all over the place. Um, but the, the information is I there. I uh, of what he's done. Uh, I'll tell him that we've we've taken a look on Pacer and we've seen, you know, that there's been a, a chain of events and maybe he can give me some clarity on it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm going to if you want I'll uh, well I'll do it anyway and then you can let me know I can forward it to you. But I'm downloading the I'm downloading the documents so we can find out what the issues are, real quick. Awesome, awesome. No, that's fantastic, and I will expect to hear from him by tomorrow. Um, how long are you yeah. in town for? Um, I, you know, actually, I was supposed to fly back to Miami today, and, and I put it off um, because I'm home and because I got so much to do. I mean, yesterday was the first work, you know, business day that I was back, and, and uh, you know, I, I mean, just, just, you know, normal stuff. And, and um, so I'm, I'm figuring it out because we're, we're getting ready to start uh, the second mission. I mean, you know, just to get into the Puerto Rico thing and, and the Caribbean thing is – after these four containers leave the warehouse today or tomorrow, we're going to be at 95 containers sent to the Caribbean, 75 to Puerto Rico by itself, and and 95 containers, Joe, 95 40 foot containers container, of meat. What are the provisions in each container? I mean, what give us a sense of of the magnitude of All that. All right, so. So what we decided to do is we decided to create what we called crisis containers. So we send we, we load up a container. We have uh, four pallets of water, four pallets of food, four pallets of, of baby supplies, formula and diapers, uh, four pallets of hygiene, uh, four pallets of cleaning supplies, uh, mixing it up from their tools, um, solar lights, water filtration systems, when we have them, but this way, when the containers get over to Puerto Rico and we deliver them to different areas based upon a distribution plan that we came up with, um, basically we followed the path of the storm as the most distressed areas, and we, and we put 50 containers in that phase one. So this way, when a container shows up and people unload it, they're not getting like a whole container full of water or a whole container full of baby diapers or something like that. So we wanted to be able to supply all these different items to each in each container so people had different things to distribute in different areas, you know, to different people. Um, get, you know, this way there was a diversity of what people could use and things that they needed. Uh, and that's what we've been doing, you know. And then, of course, you know, there is, like, you know, like there, probably out of the 75 we sent to Puerto Rico, five of them were just water, for example, because we had so much water donated. Um, and we wanted to, you know, we have to get rid of all the stuff over there, get it over there. Um, but most, of, but the rest of them were all, uh, you know, we, we sent enough seed. Five containers have been shipped. That's amazing. Yeah, and we sent enough seed to the island to plant the entire island. And I am not even being close to exaggerating. Uh, uh, it's amazing. And we sent, we well, sent, uh, we got a donation. Out it for the last three months now. Um, yeah. It's, it's been, a, well, yeah, about two, two and a half months. I think you've been at this now, right? Yep. Yep. And, and that was, that was after 55 planes. 
uh, of different types, right. from cargo planes to yeah. I mean, so that I mean, we we have sent millions and millions of pounds of relief and and probably a million pounds of uh, relief of uh, rebuild stuff. Now, I just shipped over this to give you an idea where this is going. I just shipped a a solar mobile kitchen on wheels. I just shipped three drills and water filtration systems and pumps that we are going to drill uh, for wells all around the island, 68 places, and install permanent water filtration systems in these towns. That was just sent out last week. Yeah, so, I mean, so now the rebuild comes. And, you know, the idea, you know, there's going to be more hurricanes. So the idea is to make it so this never happens again as much as possible. So, and water has been the biggest issue, you know, water and power have been the biggest issues in the Caribbean and Puerto Rico. I mean, if you think about it, you know, the storm happened the first week of September, and over half the island is still without power. So it's the longest blackout in American history. Because remember, Puerto Rico is the United States. Part of our uh, yeah, absolutely. And and it, yep, and so is the United States, and so is the U.S. Virgin Islands, and it, you know, so it's the longest blackout in the history of this country, which is wow. ludicrous considering how long. Yeah, it's just, the whole thing is ludicrous when it comes to that part of it. So we have so now next week, um, the the big celebration in Puerto Rico is the Three Kings Day, uh, you know, as opposed to Christmas, which is also big, but Three Kings is huge. So we're going over there, we're doing toys and relief and rebuild containers, and we're going to cook uh, a meal on these mobile kitchens and also those cookers that I have that I'm turning into solar cookers. So we're bringing all that stuff over there. We got 35,000 pounds donated of food, of of meat that is frozen that I'm having shipped over there this week as well. Um, we We have a cargo plane that is helping us get all these items over there. Uh, and and a whole whole bunch of people are going over as part of this, and, and we're gonna we're gonna hit six different locations on the island to to do all of this with a whole bunch of people and all our partners and stuff, and and that's kind of how the mission how the rebuild part of the mission now starts. Um, and then you know you know I, I I know you know, and we sent stuff to Dominica. We've sent uh, 16 containers to the U.S. Virgin Islands. We're working with all these great, you know, global global empowerment mission and Bethany Frankel and Third World Volunteers and and Yacht Aid Global, which is an organization of yachts. Greenpeace and I now are now working on this stuff together. And United uh, uh, United what is it United to Puerto Rico, uh, uh, Doctors for Puerto Rico, and and all of these great people that I've been working with. You know, Dr. Allison Thompson and Michael Capone and Bethany Frankel and and the list is uh, Omar Rosario, who's who's another one of our partners that when we put this together and and uh, it's it's been uh, it's been amazing um, what's been going on and, and the people on the ground. You know, we have Yono Makito. I can't forget to mention Yono Makito, who is our partner in Puerto Rico, who's the one that's supplying the trucks to get the containers out to the communities. Uh, it's amazing what's happening. And, uh, you got people well, on the you, ground you, over there delivering it. Rick, and I know every time I've talked to you, you've invited me to come out there and join you, and you know how I am. I'm liable to do it. Um, but yep. let's get yep. just to focus really quickly. In the upcoming mm-hmm. year, 2018, it's hard to believe that both uh, an American territory is without power for three months and also uh, that a plant could be a criminal offense. 
Um, what do you think that you could do specifically next year that can help us end prohibition? <laughs> well, you know, you know where I'm going to start, and it's not going to be with dealing with the government because, you know, in, in my view and in We Do Better's view, for example, or and even before that, you know, I'm a liberty guy. I have I oh, have very very yeah, yeah I have very very little use for the government because they have proven themselves to be pathetic for the entire time. Elected officials have an agenda that doesn't have anything to do with we the people, unfortunately. Uh, so when was the last you know, time the government and that helped you personally? Yeah, right. And and you know and and my thing is is that I you know I want to defund the war on, the war on drugs. You know, I, sure. I want I want our, I want the people to to uh, demand that our tax dollars no longer be used for it. That that to me is one of the better approaches that we have, and we do better has written legislation relative to this issue for all 50 states and for the federal government. We have we're lobbying for this in Illinois. We're lobbying it for Congress in Congress, and I'm getting we're getting ready to do it in other places, and it's. It's not just based upon cannabis. It's based upon us taking control of at least a portion of our tax dollars and routing it to where it delivers uh, public services better to, to the community. And, you know, I'm all about harm reduction. I'm all about peace. I'm all about, I'm all about standing against the prison industrial complex, the military industrial complex, and I want at least a portion of my tax dollars to go where I think it best serves the community. And I want you and everybody else to be able to do the same thing. And, you know, to check out more information about that, go to wedobetter.org and, and, and see what I'm talking about so I don't, you know, sit here and get long-winded more than I normally am. Uh, and and that, that's, that's where I'm at. Man. I, I'm, I, I don't want the government to be able, you know, if you, if you think about it this way, everybody, no matter how the government behaves with our tax dollars, you know, they waste it, they, they spend it any way they want to, they put more people, more people in prison for a plant. They get the same amount of money next year, and that's the problem. We keep giving them money to do the same thing, and we need to stand up. And, because, you know, voting is not cutting it. So we need to take some of that money away and direct it other places and stop this and use it for harm reduction the way it needs to be done uh, and, and stop putting people in jail and, and all these other wonderful things that we've been doing, uh, you know, for a plant and, and other drugs as well. Um, it, it's, just, it's crazy what's happening. So that, that's, my, that's my general response to that. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Well, Bobby, uh, you've consumed a, a, an undue chunk of my show, and I need to give a little bit to some of these other folks that are waiting online. But um, I do appreciate you being here. It's been a long time. I'm glad that you are, had a moment to come home. Hopefully you'll have a few extra days to stick around and, you know, get yourself together. Uh, you, can, you can push yourself to your break, and then you can't help anybody. Yeah, I appreciate that, buddy. And, you know, it's always, it's, I'm always happy to stop by. And, you know, I love THSI. I always have. So uh, I'm happy to be here and support, support the organization and the show anytime. Right on. Well, we need to uh, get together and talk more. We've uh, we, we've both been uh, doing too much of our own thing. So I look forward to talking to you in the next couple of days and uh, getting our plans together. All right, buddy. You have a good one. All right. Thank you so much. 
Again, Bobby Rodrigo with the Coffee Party and also Human Solution and also We Do Better and also, and I could go on for a week, but I've got 20 minutes of the show left, and so we're going to jump right into it. We're going to go to Glenn Keeling from Ohio. He is our newest uh, chartered chapter coordinator and uh, also an active defendant and patient and provider and all the things that we are so into. Glenn, welcome to the show. Hey, good evening, Joe. Thank you for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Uh, how are things going out there in Ohio? Cold, very cold right now. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm I not going to tell you about the weather here in California. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I imagine that snow is probably not something that you're really used to. Now, I got a fan blowing on me because it gets a little warm in here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm slightly jealous at the moment. It's like, I think it's negative three here right now. Oh, jeez. Yeah, we're probably about 60. Uh, but, you know, it's a dry, it's a dry cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I was listening, and, and you know, there's been a lot of good information passed around tonight and, and has been talked about. Um, something that, that man, I, I just, every time you turn the TV on, you hear somebody in a suit sitting there telling you how there's no medical value to marijuana. There never has, or there's, you know, how, how horrible it is. But man, you know, I just sit and think every time one of them open their mouth and says that, that it's the biggest lie that I could possibly have ever heard. I mean, of course I've posted it a million times and I'll keep saying it. It's six, six, three, zero, five, zero, seven. It's the patent. Now, you know, again, the patent office does not hand out patents for things that don't work or fabricated or just made up. But the U.S. government has got a patent for medical marijuana. It, either way it goes, there's properties in that. And, you know, they've had this patent for a long, long time. And every time one of them gets up there and, and says, that, oh, there's no medical value to it and there's no, I just want to scream and reach through the TV and just choke the shit out of them. You know, because, again... It's funny is you, when they you know, do that more and more, they get made a fool of more and more. And, you know, the reality of this is um, even if you're standing on their on their side of the fence, they, they created an FDA-approved drug that is one of the active ingredients in cannabis. And they've synthesized it and they've, they've, they've singled out the molecule and it's a prescribable drug. So for there to be THC to be a prescribable drug, it has to inherently have a medical use. And yet right. they Absolutely. claim that when it's in the plant, it has no value whatsoever. So yeah, you're right, it, there, there's multiple layers of bullshit that surround the notion of Schedule One's, um, you know, classification of cannabis. And you know, uh, we've had Amy Don Hildebrand out here who has that Talk to the Hand campaign. <clears throat> um, you know, she's been on the show a bunch of times, and and you know, we've all written the the patent number on our hand and and posted it around. And you know, I think more and more. It's getting harder and harder for people to take that stand of, of you know, uh, pots of drug, drugs are bad. There's no medical use. It's going to fry your brain. I think, I think that that tactic and that tone 
it's getting harder to to be credible with. It's hard to find an audience that will listen to that and not wrinkle their nose and go, but what about Aunt Sally who cured her cancer? And what about Uncle Jake who doesn't have the shakes anymore? And what about, um, you know, Mary Lou who who has MS, but now she can walk around and, and be like the rest of us? You know, everybody now at least knows somebody who's benefited from cannabis used as medicine um, directly with that purpose. And it's, it's, it's becoming impossible, I believe, to, to hold that argument up. And yet there's politicians for you. They just keep doing it. You know, they just right. keep doing it. Right. And it's real sad. I mean, you're right. It, it is getting harder and harder for them to continue to lie to people because I think now that in the United States, I think that I've seen the last time it was up 76% of adults agree with some sort of fashion of marijuana being legal, whether it's be, been recreational or medical, you know. Um, <clears throat> and they still teach, you know, and, and they still teach kids over and over, and then grade school all the way up through high school, how horrible these drugs are. E- even now in states that have recreationalized it or medicalized it, they're still teaching these kids the same thing that they've been teaching them for the last 70 years, you know. I think it's time that, you know, and this is something that, you know, we are going to work on trying to get re-education to these people that, are teaching our kids because it's really sad. It's really sad, you know, that my daughter, I'll just an example. My daughter brought home a paper because she's in this DARE program that they still have, um, no, you know, all of them health class. And they made her um, mind attack. And everything on there, I mean, it was absolutely a lie. But, of course, my daughter is a 14-year-old girl. She's very smart. We don't hide things from her. We've educated her in the proper way. She failed on it because she answered honestly the truth <laughs> to all these questions, and she got and she she got a, a D on it because most of the answers on there were wrong. Well, according to their wrong, you know, I, I watch people on a daily day basis, you know, that that have been healed by this, that we've helped, and, and that it is it, just really frustrating that you know they they the government and states force good people to break bad walls. And then they get punished you know, for it. That's one of the things that the human solution is all about, is about education and support. I mean, that's our two core um, MOs of, of operation. And I think that this year, you know, we're going to be having a board meeting tomorrow to discuss our plans for next year. And I, I think focusing on education um, you know, we have a new chapter in New York that's forming, and it's going to be focusing on education. I, I think education is really the key to our success. Remember, prohibition is a blanket that was thrown over a truth, and it was, you know, sewn in with a bunch of lies and deceit, and, you know, America fell for it. And, and you know, 12, 15 generations of lies spun over the top of each other and, and woven into white papers and, and, and you know, law enforcement training um, in, in, until it was institutional. And, and finally, you, you've got people that are uh, raising their kids to challenge uh, these lies when they're, when they're laid out to them. And we've had people like Shauna Banda 
uh, her case started out with the same thing, with the D.A.R.E. program coming into her school and her kids standing up going, wait a minute, that's not right. And, you know, she fought a, a multiple-year case that, that stemmed out of it. We have uh, a number of cases in California where we had um, CPS investigations that, that came out of uh, children who stood up in their D.A.R.E. class and said, hey, wait a minute, that's not right. And, you know, yet... Every time that somebody does that, you know there's a number of kids that are sitting there going, wait a minute, you're right. Or maybe the teacher or maybe even the law enforcement officer who's having to hand this bullshit out, maybe even they are going, well, you know, we never really did. I mean, you know, at one point somebody's got to acknowledge the truth. And I think that educating our kids, educating each other, um, getting facts out there, talking points, um, you know, putting together uh, educational materials that lay these things out, I think that's going to be some of the projects we're going to be working on in the upcoming years so that we can empower, um, you know, the people that just don't know with with the knowledge. Right. And that's something that Peggy and I both are going to work on is, is we're going to try and re-educate every possible person that, we, that will listen to us speak. We're going to try to re-educate you know, and, and to, you know, strengthen what the plant actually does and what it actually is. Um, that is what we're going to do as part of, you know, the new chapters in here in Ohio. We're going we're gonna to jump right into that, and that's going to be our main focus for this year is, is to re-educate. I'm, of course, getting through our case also, but re-educating. Even, I'm, you know, if I have to do it right there in the courtroom, I'm going to start re-educating as much as I can, you know, because it's really ridiculous how, you know, the old thoughts are still just drawing through and drawing through, and it's just, it's become to a point where, you again, good people are forced to break bad walls, and that's what it comes down to, because these walls that they have in place are ridiculous and beyond need. It's so true, it's so true. Well, I look forward to um, what we'll probably start doing is set up some conference calls and uh, review the materials that we have. You have a package on the way to you that has a bunch of printed materials that we currently have um, just for handing out. And um, But we, we need to um, evaluate them and look at creating some new ones. We have a, a number of cases that we're supporting around the country that may be a more general um, in, when I mean general, uh, about the cannabis plant and, and it's uh, the reason that it shouldn't be illegal um, and, and just some simple facts that, that will maybe cause people to think um, maybe it's time to create a new, uh, either a postcard or a, or a brochure or something like that that we can uh, print up. That's what all of our donations and dues and everything goes towards is creating and, and uh, uh, printing and distributing our educational materials. So um, I think that having a few people um, digging in and helping out, I think will be a gigantic uh, boost. And I'm looking forward to uh, this upcoming year and, and all the efforts that are going to be coming with the new team. Right on. Well, you've got Peggy's and I uh, backing on, you know, whatever the case may be. We're going to, like I said, we're going to re-educate, re-educate, re-educate. I love it. I love it. 
All right, Glenn. Well, uh, uh, always a pleasure, and I wish you and Peggy and your family a uh, very, very happy new year, and I look forward to working with you more closely um, in the upcoming weeks and months. Absolutely. That's great, and I look forward to speaking with you in the morning. Sounds great. All right, once again, folks, Glenn Keeling from Ohio in the new chapter. Um, I'm just so excited to watch these new chapters forming, growing, and uh uh, casting the light of their beacon. All right, we got eight minutes left, and we got two more callers, so we've got to conserve time. We got Aaron O'Neill, a friend to the show, former defendant, and he's got something to say. And then, of course, we got Tom Corby with the NorCal Report to wrap up the show. Aaron, welcome to the show. Hey, <clears throat> hey, Joe. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Always How you a doing pleasure up there? to have you. <laughs> oh, doing great. No fires nearby us, so I'm. Uh, Above ground, breathing, and currently out of custody. Oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. Well, I'll tell you, I've been pretty busy over here, man. Uh, I basically jumped out of the frying pan right into the fire. Uh, uh, oh, people no. say, I guess people people say I like fights. <laughs> I don't know if I do or not, but, uh, you know, um, I'm going to fight this fight. But I just started a new, uh, a new chapter of the California Association. We called ourselves the El Dorado County Growers Association, and we're affiliated with A. Uh, we've been at it for about six weeks. We already got a web page up. We got our Facebook page going. Uh, we got our board of directors, mission statement, um, all the paperwork done, checking account. We've been sitting down with the boards of supervisors already. We met with uh, the chairman. We met with uh, two other supervisors, and we're looking forward to meet, meeting with two more supervisors who are actually running for uh, office this year. And we are scheduled to meet with their two, the two people that they're running against. Actually, one. One person has an opponent. The other person doesn't have an opponent yet, but we're expecting an opponent wow. to uh, to uh, throw the hat in the ring, and we're going to sit down with them too as well. So it's been just kind of a roller coaster ride. You know, I got that my case dismissed uh, a couple months back, and um, I just uh, they they were talking about a ban in El Dorado County, and they were moving forward with a ban, and I was just like, you know, I got to get in the fight and do something about this. So I just jumped in and started swinging again. So. Anyway, love it. just want to I tell you what happened. Well, you know what? <laughs> so we need more people that are proactive. We have a number of, of proactive cases, and this is certainly one of them. We got uh, Mike Harris uh, in Fontana that's got a lawsuit uh, challenging a ban, and, um, you know, it's it's we have to go at this. They, they use every means necessary to try to stomp on our necks, and we need to use every means necessary to break free and 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 you know liberate ourselves and you know the idea that you could have a ban in a county in a state that has allowed for there to be medical and recreational use to have a county ban the the ability to grow this plant is ludicrous on so many levels and you know i i i'm not a big fan of any of these regulations i think they're all a bunch of crap but we've got to take a stand and we've got to get the people to unite in such a way that they're not going to come after us and and go after us with uh, asset forfeiture and, and criminal charges. Yeah, let me tell you some of the dirty pool we've been up against, man. They banned all all cannabis activities in our county except the five or six dispensaries that were there before I think 2005. They basically de facto licensed them. So now the dispensaries in our county can't even purchase cannabis from the cultivators in our county because we're under a ban. Oh, jeez. Uh, so now the dispensaries you know, don't want to support. 
now the citizens right. don't want to support the cultivators. They're they're like, well, we got our license, and now basically right. just left the cultivators on the cold, and we're like, what the? Where do you think you're getting all this yeah. cannabis at? <laughs> right. So once again, exactly. cultivators have been demonized in this whole process, which just irritates the hell out of me because it always seems like the cultivators are always taking it, man. It's just unbelievable. So I'm out there trying to organize the cultivator. I'm like, I'm done with it. I'm going to go out. I'm going to get as many cultivators as I can, and we're going to fight back. Hell with this shit. Well, I love it. I respect the work, and let me know if there's anything we can do to, to be supportive. Thank you so much. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it. All right, brother. Once again, Aaron O'Neill, former defendant in California, now organizing cultivators in El Dorado County, California. With three minutes and 50 seconds, we come to Tom Corby with the NorCal Report to wrap it up. Tom, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Joe. And uh, always, Becca, Mary, Lisa, and Bobby Rodrigo, Office Party Radio Show, a nice talk tonight. Thank you, my friend. Uh, in Northern California, uh, really don't have many cases left. Why is that? When I point out every week, how are we doing this? How is Aaron O'Neill getting his dismissal? And because we have attorneys like Joseph Tully and Savannah Firmino, and we actually have some good PD now, that our mindset always is there's no pre-deals. We always take them, like Joe says, onto a speedy trial. Uh, we always come, totally taught me, uh, with the 99 dismiss probable cause motion. We always file, make sure we get all our discovery for how can you work your case if you don't know exactly what's against you. Uh, we know that when a defendant gets out of prison or jail, uh, he's going to be scared, going to be misled. He won't know where to turn. going to be lost, alone, and broke. Do you know your rights? Well, yeah, you're going to be afraid, unsure, and you're also going to be intimidated. This is where we can help because we've been there. And one of the first things when a defendant gets out of jail, of course, they're going to be scared, and they're probably going to be talking about such a good deal they're going to get, and we know that these wobbler uh, felony misdemeanors like those only screw you. Uh, first thing is to calm them down, and and, and uh, as uh, my friend Toby Williams when Don and I got busted six years ago, uh, uh we're going to get our discovery. It's such a big word. And when we get to our discovery, we we always get all videos, audios, and our police report is actually the first discovery. We want to get it actually online after you get booked. And when you start working that police report, we go 50-50 with you. As you work the case, you'll become more relieved. And at some point, you will be on the offense and we'll put the prosecution on the defense. We've done it many times up here in Northern California. Uh, also want to point out uh, uh, when we talk about Glenn Keeling up there in Ohio, and then, by the way, that's where our Butte County coordinators from, Alex Lyon, is from Ohio. Uh, we had, as Joe knows, 
we had LV Musica here for a couple of days, and it was awesome. I'm so honored to have her. Uh, when we talk about the 6630507 patent, she is 79 years old now. Can you believe, Jill, somebody's actually four years older than me? And I can't believe how good she looks and what she's so great to hang with. And uh, she would tell you that actually at first on this on the patent there were actually 18 uh, dead uh, patients. And again, what a lie! Uh, hypocritical, at least. Uh, she would tell you now uh, there's probably only about two or three left. She actually still gets 300 joints a month from the feds. Uh, she really likes the Human Solution International. Uh, she's a real, little reluctant to talk on the radio show, but she wants to thank you, Joe, for all you do. Her goal and vision as a Human Solution is to end prohibition, to educate, not incarcerate, to free all our POWs. Did you know that we still have, I believe, Joe, 50 plus Prisoners in for life without parole. This is unacceptable. So come and help me the solution to finally end prohibition, the failed drug war on especially cannabis, our sacred plant. Uh, have a great New Year's. You all have a day in 2018, and don't forget to breathe. As Donna would say, thank you. Thank you, Joe. All right. Um, well, thank you so much for uh, your NorCal report. And uh, I miss uh, LV. I uh, shared a birthday with her a few years back, and uh, she's great. I also uh, sat with her at Seattle Hip Fest a couple years back. Um, anyways, uh, she's wonderful. She's been a guest on the show years back. Um, but, uh, yeah, I know she's a little – she's not shy, but she gets she's not comfortable on the radio. Anyways, um, just want to thank everybody for being here. I want to thank everybody that's made this year an amazing year. I want to thank the Human Solution team uh, that's driving forward and building uh, building steam. I want to thank the Coffee Party and uh, the Coffee Party Radio Network for giving us a place to have this show. I want to thank uh, Becca Nichols and Lisa Wooldridge and a non-compliant Mary Donnelly for helping back this show up and all the guests, of course, and we will see you next year. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse the Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said, Don, you were always on my